so how does it feel being back, returning to the seat that you made famous? <laughs> to me, it was kind of like when the when you turn on the Fox UFC cards and you're like, who the hell are these three announcers? You can just hear people talking and it seems like everybody's keen and excited. But at the end of the day, when the big pay-per-view comes around, they call fucking Rogan and they bring back the big guns, right? <laughs> so here we are, UFC 210. There's a, we're not we're not talking Bellator. I don't get you know I don't show up for weeks where we're going to chat Bellator for an hour. It's not really my cup of tea. I savor for the big ones, you know. I thought we were. I thought our first topic was going to be Bellator. Mitch, you're already scuttling the agenda. I said chatting Bellator for an hour. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Want to throw a little Bellator out there? I'll do it. But let's do it. Let's do it. Let's start. You are listening to The Hurt Take. This is the MMA podcast by a couple of fans. For the fans, Mitch is back. Back in the seat he made famous. We're happy to have him back. It's always a good time chatting with Mitch. Mitch, did you happen to catch Bellator this weekend? The, uh, well, I don't know what we would call it. The King versus Rampage. The King of the Rampage. Did it have a title? (laughs) Did you catch it? Uh, I caught that fight just because I was purely intrigued to see what happens when a 250-pound a man <laughs> fights a 210-pound man that they want to call a heavyweight matchup, even though neither guy was that heavyweight. But, I mean, yeah, it was that was intriguing. I didn't watch much more than that, though. You? Yeah, I I watched uh, two or three fights from that card. I was trying to catch most of them, but, it, you know, unfortunately I was uh, busy and it wasn't exactly the most eye-popping card that would make me, you know, scuttle all my other plans that I had for the night. But of course, I got Rampage and King Mo. Kind of wish I didn't. <laughs> Not a lot going on there. It, that, that it was, I don't know, it just felt like a whole lot of pointless. Yeah, it really did. There, it's funny because they, uh, all week, King Mo was calling Rampage Quinton because... As he says, when's the last time he rampaged? <laughs> and that was, it was kind of, that's what it felt like. That felt like Quentin Jackson in the cage, you know? There was none of the none of the dog barking and none of the kind of viciousness that used to be there. So, yeah. Well, you'll be curious to see what happens now. But I, I can't see him going back to UFC at this point. But you never do know, I guess, if he kind of dedicates himself or something. We'll see. <laughs> it's the strange thing about Rampage is every time they do one of those you know, when they were doing a like UFC embedded or any of those little docu-series, every single one focuses on him, like, getting into shape more than anything. It's like, oh, Rampage has been doing so much swimming for this camp. Or it's like, oh, Rampage is great. We're working on him just burst, getting that burst, right? Like, pacing himself every friggin' time. And then he shows up for this weigh-in looking like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Huh. I was like, are you joking me? Did you do anything? Do you even care? Apparently he doesn't care. He even regrets getting into the sport. Yeah, regrets getting into this. Yeah, everything that was coming out of his mouth leading up to that fight didn't sound like you were going to get motivated rampage. That's for darn sure. Didn't even know what weight the fight was being fought at. Didn't seem to know. You know, I think we're just lucky he showed up. He made it to the <laughs> made it to the cage. Was able to go. I thought it had the makings of a card that was going to get pulled or something crazy. But I guess. Yeah. When you when you put it at heavyweight, you can't really miss weight, so he was safe there. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really, really good point. He would have to let himself go to not make weight. It's a good point. Maybe, uh, maybe Rampage was thinking. Maybe he was thinking a little bit. Anyways, either way, he did not look good. King Mo basically wrestled him all the way to a decision. But the key there 
is that apparently the winner of that fight gets to welcome Ryan Bader to Bellator. So that's big news. The big uh, free agent signing by Bellator. Ryan Darth Bader is coming to the Bellator. I, I don't know if they said it was going to be a title fight, though. No, guess, no, no. No, it can't no. be because so, Phil Davis is the champ. I'm sorry. Yeah, they didn't want to add a third title fight to that pay-per-view card, so they're going to they're gonna make this one in the meantime. So instead we get more exciting wrestling matchups. That should make you happy. Uh, there's nothing like seeing a boring wrestling fight and then going, hey, but we're going to book him right back again quickly, so get ready against a wrestler. I will, I'm going but to... Now we can uh, see some serious wrestling dominance in that fight. That'll be super exciting stuff, I'm sure. Well, I'm going to respectfully yeah. disagree, though, Mitch. Mm, I think you Ryan always Bader do. hasn't really been a wrestler for some time. He's really tried to use his wrestling so that he could go out there and bomb it on people. And I think that's the way he's going to go in this fight. So I think they're ultimately going to negate each other and try and do most of the fight on the feet. But that's just me, my armchair uh, fight analyst self-predicting. Yeah, to be fair, you're probably right. He's he's been trying to punch more. I don't know that I've been anyone's been real impressed with his stand up or anything, but you do tend to see that two good solid wrestlers would probably end up being a bit of a pillow fight at standing up or something. We'll see what that's like. But either way, it's it's a it's a it's a good fifth fight added to that pay per view. That's for darn sure. So, um, you know, we were just talking about a Bellator card that didn't really excite us, and this is one that probably is is getting a little bit closer to where you might actually tune in and watch the entire thing. So um, I might even say it right now. I, this would be the first Bellator card I watch in entirety and pay for simultaneously. So I think I'll I'll sign up. I'll get on board. I'll see what they're doing over there. <laughs> I have to agree. I, I, I do like Bellator. I like MMA, man. Like, I'm a hardcore guy, right? So I will pay attention no matter what, even if it's just anybody fighting anybody. But they're, they're definitely... And I was saying this with uh, with your replacement last week was <laughs> they're not that far removed from what the UFC is doing. They put together good fights. If you're you know a lot of the best UFC cards of the last couple years have been ones where nobody thinks much of them, and then it's just all the all those fighters show up and have real competitive scraps. And so if you're willing to just take a chance on Bellator, you're you're going to get some good fights if they show up. It's just a question of whether those people show up to fight. So I'm with you, man. We'll catch yeah. it. We'll catch it together. But that's enough Bellator talk. Please. <laughs> it's on to the Cadillac of MMA leagues now, the UFC. One yes. of the headlines uh, that came up in the last week here, Mitch, something that piqued both of our interests, sort of in the uh, the realm of the new normal, everybody talking about how they want to win multiple belts now that McGregor's done it. Everybody wants to be a multi-division champion. Cody Garbrandt, he of the zero title defenses at Bantamweight, wants to become a three-division champion. He wants to drop down and fight Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Interesting. Who knows how feasible it is? What's your take on that, Mitch? You know, I... I, I honestly spend a great deal of time thinking about this because I. it feels like... Yeah, I'm not even 100% sure what I want to say. Right now I'm saying he's a product of the machine. This is what happens when these guys win these belts. It seems like to me they they parade them around. They kind of put them on this. I don't want to say they put them on this pedestal because he's the champ and he should be put on a pedestal in that division. But it seems to go bigger than that. UFC seems to kind of build these stars where now he's got the neck tattoos and he wears the nice suits and he's getting on some of the more mainstream TV. And now we're talking multiple divisions. And like you said, hasn't even defended it once. 
Uh, and he's got to defend it against a guy who, you know, some would argue never even lost the belt. Like it's not like you're talking about he's mopped the division and now he's, you know, he's Demetrius Johnson looking around for where's a good fight. This is a kid who's never defended. He's got two, I would say two very difficult defenses coming up before he ever needs to think about getting out of the division. Uh, and then he's eyeing arguably the pound for pound best fighter in the world while doing that. Uh, but at the same time, the machine kind of dictates that that's what you're doing. You got the headlines and you're going to have them for a short amount of time. So make as many splashes, make as many waves as you can. Um, so I think we're just going to see more and more and more of this because guys just, they don't get their limelight until they do. Right. And then once they do, they've really got to capitalize is kind of how I look at it. And I think he's just doing the same old thing. He's probably got a PR person for the first time in his life. And he's doing all these things where, you know, he's just trying to get in as many headlines and throw as many crazy ideas out there as possible. Cause that's how these guys are getting paid nowadays. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. I, I will agree for, for damn sure he's a product of the star-making system. Now, in his defense, you know, he, he, it's not like he went out there when he beat Dominic Cruz and just looked good and that's why everyone started talking about him. I mean, he put on a show. He absolutely put on a show and, and put the eyeballs on him and, and made the chatter about him. And so that's what you got to do, like you said. That's what Conor McGregor has done. I just think that, guys, a lot of these fighters are missing the point about multiple divisions, multiple belts, and all that stuff. It's, it's like, it's not about being the champ. If, if, if Conor McGregor has proven anything, it's not about being the champ. It's about pushing the boundaries and saying you're going to do something and then going out and doing it. Saying you're going to be a three-division champ, I mean, Conor McGregor wasn't saying that when he was out there, uh, you know, talking shit about everybody in the featherweight division, one right after the other, and then proving it. You know, he, he talked about that pretty much right after he won the featherweight belt, and then he immediately got that title shot. Cody Garbrandt's saying this, but, you know, he's, he's got a bantamweight sh- uh, a title defense on the docket. So it's, I mean, I, I take this more seriously if he were saying this and it were in motion, but then again, maybe he's got to say it to put it in motion. I mean, that has been sort of a thing that's been going on lately, you know. That's then, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm saying. I mean, if he doesn't throw it out there, it never becomes a thing. And the yeah. fact that we're sitting here debating about it right now means he's already getting what he's looking for with it, right? Stir the oh, pot, okay. stoke the fire, see what's going on, um, and get get as many talking heads babbling about it as you possibly can. I think he was probably looking for some bigger names than than me and you, but. Hey, we're talking about it, so maybe he's already going in the right direction. Here's a curious thing, something I wanted to throw out to you. Dominic Cruz, I was listening to a really good interview with him the other day, and he was talking about he kind of revels this idea that he gets to sit back now for probably the better part of a year, train, focus, know who his opponent's going to be. The next time he fights in that division, it's going to be against Gerbrandt or it's going to be against Dillashaw. He's fought them both. He gets to just sit back and wait, and he made an interesting point, which is Cody's never had to do this. Cody's never had to be the man for a year. He's never had to do all the interviews, get pulled in 400 different directions, have everybody in the world loving him and telling him he's the greatest thing, giving him this gift, giving him that gift, inviting him to parties. And that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing him everywhere. Every, every time you pop up anything, it seems like there's Cody Garbrandt in a different flashy suit. And Cruz is wondering, you know, when's he training? (laughs) When's he getting ready for his division, let alone the other two divisions? Like we talked about, he's got, He's fighting Dillashaw. He's got a kid who's pissed, who's been pissed for two years waiting to get his his shot back at Cruz. Now it's going to be back at Garbrandt. They're obviously filming the show, which buys them a little bit of time to drum up some heat. But I just 
I think it's really interesting. What do you think about that? He makes a kind of a good point about that new schedule and kind of that champion's uh, way of life that is something he's going to have to battle and never had to battle before. Well, just take one look at John Jones. I mean, that's a guy who ultimately proved it in the short term, but in the long term, you know, that that kind of pressure seemingly got to him. It's it's gotten to athletes before. You know, the, they're not immune to the make big money and all of a sudden it changes everything or the idea that uh, now that you're champion, you you got to work twice as hard to maintain your position because there's you can't go any higher. You can only go lower. And wow. uh, like God's, like we both agreed, like every time Dominic Cruz opens his mouth, I think nuggets of truth and nuggets of wisdom come out. I mean, that guy knows what he's talking about, whether he's trying to get in Garbrandt's head is one thing or the other. I tend to think that it's part and parcel. He knows how to get in their head by saying the things that are the most honest and truthful. But that's a that's a good point. I think he's he's we'll see. We're going to see Dillashaw like he has been champing at the bit. I mean, I have not seen a guy who has had just unlucky in terms of the way the division has gone after uh you know, after they lost their belt, arguably he never should have lost it. That's he's going to be motivated, man. And he's had a lot of time also to prepare for Garbrandt whereas Garbrandt didn't have to worry about Dillashaw. He had to worry about Cruz, where, you know, Dillashaw, I think, knew that he was on a collision course with Garbrandt. So, yeah. you know. And further to no, that, Dominic Cruz is sitting there on the sideline, and he gets a full, like you said, a full year to game plan for either one of those guys and see where their changes have been made and see where they're improving or not improving. And with a really smart guy like Dominic Cruz, that is not something you want to give them. Well, then he made the point that I found super intriguing too, is he doesn't, so he's essentially third now, right? So he's, he's probably ranked two, but because these two are going to tie each other up, he kind of gets to fall down to number three. He's, he's doing even less interviews now. He's doing less of his Fox stuff. He's kind of cut that back a bit. Mm -hmm. He claimed to be very unhealthy coming into that Garbrandt fight. So he's got a year where the way he put it, he just gets to hit the treadmill. He's just working every minute of every day. He didn't even talk game plan. He wasn't even talking the mental side, just physically, you know, just a pure year of training without another thought. Um, and then, whereas before it was, he was coming in, he'd been off this long. Now, could he come back? Could he, could he defend the title against this young kid? Like just never ending questions and obligations. And now just nothing. And he said, you know, it's been however long it's been month, two months. I don't even remember how long it's been now. And in this interview, he was just talking about what he's done since that time. And he, and he kind of said at the end, like, do you think Cody's done that much? And I was just like, you know, how do you not? Of course, there's yeah. no way he has. He's busy posing with his model girlfriend every two days. And you just look and you're like, you know, Dominic's got his little dog and the training room. And I just think, man, I, I don't know. But obviously, we're both Cruz fans. So, um, you know, we might be a little one-sided on that thing. But it's interesting, but, especially... Hey. Yeah. Admittedly, I am a big Garbrandt fan too. He won me over in that last fight. So, well, and that's what I was just going to say, especially with that fight, right? Like everybody just went, "Wow, Cody's this and Cody's that," and I thought, "Okay, but that's one time, right?" And now, now it'll be interesting. He's got to do it again, mm -hmm. and then he's going to have to fight him again. And I just think that's, you know, if he does all that, then he's going to start talking about these other divisions. By that point, his star power will be enough that he can he can pick and choose his fights. I think if he if he's able to take out Dillashaw and Cruz back-to-back -back here coming up this year, probably both this year, I would say, then he's probably picking which division he wants to go and go for a title at that point. So we'll see. Well, speaking of another individual who may or may not want to collect title belts, the now-returned George St. Pierre, who has not fought in 
over what three years now uh hasn't even fought for a belt yet hasn't hasn't done anything may or may not want to win three belts in the ufc again michael bisming his opponent for the middleweight title has said he believes george is coming back to try and get a super fight with conor mcgregor and take the lightweight belt as well as a person very close to george st pierre Freddie Roach, the guy who many people credit with helping get the deal done with the UFC to bring him back, also thinks that George St. Pierre has a three-fight title plan in the works. Now, George St. Pierre is a much different story from Cody Garbrandt. This is a guy who has walked the walk and largely, I guess you could say talk the talk, but generally he was very polite and French. What do you think, Mitch? Do you think that this is a realistic thing? I mean, this seems like a master plan with GSP, whereas with Garbrand, it seems like uh, just some guy talking. Uh, well, the first thing I think is that your GSP impersonation is just bang on. I think Woo! that's quite quite solid. So you should probably pull that out more often. I think the the French listeners would definitely appreciate that, I'm sure. so, uh, And I'm sure we have tons of French listeners, so it should be, I mean, it's definitely something you should do. But... On the actual subject you asked me about, it's it's intriguing to me. Um, you guys spoke about head cases last week while I was away, uh, a fascinating little bit that you guys did there. And I honestly, he didn't make the list, which is interesting to me because Gorgeous George seems to be one of the biggest head cases going in this sport to me. And this is this is another indication of it to me. He had to take a break from the sport because he's so busy overthinking he wears himself out. Um, he can't turn his brain off. He can't turn his thoughts off. All these types of things he's always talking about. And you kind of get a mini snapshot into it now. When a guy comes back from a three-year layoff, most guys would be looking at, hey, let's get a good performance under our belts. Let's so let's have this one fight. Let's get our belt back in our division, something like that. No, not George. He's got a, you know, arguably a two-year plan where I think Michael Bisming's 100%. He picked Michael Bisming because he thinks that's the easiest one. He's on record saying he didn't want to come back to 170 because he thinks Damian Maya is going to be the champion there and he kind of wants to get out of his way. He thinks he deserves the title shot. So he's going to go up and take Bisming's belt first, then come down to fight Maya, who he likes that matchup, you know, BJJ against a wrestler. He's not going to get his head punched a ton and then just casually walk in to fight Conor McGregor at 155, all of which he's gone public with already or his coach has before he's even shown up to start his first training camp. And now, you know, is that going to build the pressure and all these things that were taxing him before and leave him mentally worn out or whatever? Very interesting stuff to me. And, I, you know, the other thing about this is it seems like someone out of his camp manages to leak his entire plan every <laughs> time. So <laughs> I don't know if they intentionally want all these things aired all the time, but it just seems like he can't do a single thing without one of his coaches letting the world know about it. So it seems like a giant bag of egos over there to me. Something I'm very intrigued about. Do I think he can do it? Sure. Uh, why not? Why wouldn't he try to do it at this point? Really? Um, I think he was sitting around watching all these guys make all this real money nowadays going, hold on, <laughs> I could beat these guys. Um, but, but we'll definitely see. One thing I wanted to ask you, he was big about the steroids, right? He wanted to sit out. He didn't like the steroid use. They've now got USADA in there. Um, so this would be one of the biggest proving points to me. Do you think it's something that's that big of a deal? Is there's no is he essentially saying there's no steroids at play? I could win all three of these belts, something he never even he never even tried to move up to 185, let alone go for the title. And you think it's that big of a factor? Is it really just the steroids now everybody's cleaned up and he thinks he can do this? 
Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. Um, I mean, I would not be surprised to hear George St. Pierre start to talk about how I mean, he has already been on record to talk about pure, about athleticism and more philosophically. This is a guy who posts more videos of himself doing gymnastics than he does training actual mixed martial arts, it seems. So I think that this is a guy who puts a premium on athleticism and the versatility of athleticism and the pure idea of athleticism. You know, when we, when people are like to have these fantasy, uh, arguments about who's the best athlete of all time regardless of sport and then everyone starts comparing yeah but that guy couldn't play all those sports but that guy could i think george st pierre is one of those guys he believes in the pure athleticism of mma that it takes a supreme well-rounded athlete who's quick and strong and fast and all of those things to be the best and i I think you make a good point. I would not be surprised if that is a motivating factor for him. He feels that now that the sport maybe is cleaned up to a point that he can come back and have a realistic shot at being proving that he is a supreme athlete. I don't know. That is a really interesting point, Mitch. I'm going to jump back a little bit, though, and I'm going to say that I think that, that George is, like you said, he thinks things through really hard i think he's a lot more calculated than maybe we give credit for because when we think about guys that are calculating we think about guys that are it's almost a negative thing to be calculated it seems like you're always plotting and planning but i think george is a guy who has plans and so when i hear his people leak things it's always people that are really close really close to him that he's not pushing away that he's that he's tight with the Freddie Roaches and the Frost Zahabis. So I feel like that's his way of testing the waters the way that uh, a Cody Garbrandt would just say it himself. George isn't that guy. George is the polite guy. George is the guy who says the right things. But when Frost Zahabi comes out and says what George is thinking and people hear that, that stokes that conversation. So I think that George is, is, is definitely has a master plan at work here. Uh, what's most interesting about that situation to me is, you know, the chaos it would cause if he actually set out to do this. If he beats Bisbing and wins the middleweight belt, what, is he going to keep it? Is he going to vacate it and then go down? And so is he going to be like a, a spiritual three division champion and win three belts, but not hold any or defend any and just vacate them right away. And that causes all sorts of chaos in the wake of it. So, I mean, that's obviously speculating way down the road, but I would be very interested to see if that is his plan what in the world it would do to those divisions. Well, and see, and he's, he mentions the one other thing he's always talking about and you reference quite a bit is the, you know, this whole kind of everything's a stock market or, you know, that type of angle. So you can tell he knows that it's not just winning the belt either. Right. So you're talking about a guy who hasn't had a finish in whatever it is, 15 years or something. And he's, you know, he's got to come out here, win these belts, but it's not even just winning these belts. If he comes out as a five round, you know, bore fest against Bisbee. And you think McGregor's, you know, going to be standing there waiting for a challenge. Like it's, he's, he's set himself up in a way where he has to win. He has to win impressively. And it still is probably going to have to fall just exactly right with timing and everything else for him to have this kind of power. So, um, and I, I think that maybe speaks to your point about them possibly kind of putting these things out there a little bit, just to start feeling the waters. Cause they do almost need to, there, he talked a lot about that in that first press conference. It's a, it's about where you stand at particular times. It's not about your rankings necessarily. And 
it's kind of where your stock value and that type of thing is sitting. And so I, I think this is very interesting because to me, it's, it's, he's got to get the wins, but he's got to do them in ways that, you know, we maybe haven't seen from him or possibly, you know, it's very, you know, he knows that there's factors at play here outside of just winning. Um, so it's very intriguing to me. It's very interesting to watch to think he has that big of a plan, but at the same time, you know, like you said, he's very calculated. So why not have a plan? You know, if everything works perfectly, here's the dream scenario and then kind of adjust accordingly if it, if it doesn't go to play. Right. Yeah. I, I will, I will disagree with you just somewhat on that. I don't necessarily think he has to do things impressively because it's the Floyd Mayweather, um, you know, school of economics, just win baby. As long as you're winning, your stock is going up. Your stock can't go down by winning, you know, and eventually you'll hit that fight where, you know, so what if your last three fights have sort of been whatever is defensive master classes or whatever. You didn't look that great. You didn't do anything flashy. Well, guess what? Now you're fighting, you know, Marcus Maidana in a, in a fight that wows everybody. And, and then and the next fight gets an even bigger buy rate. So, you know, that's the thing is if George St. Pierre can beat Michael Bisbing, I don't think it really matters how he does it because when he says, I want to fight Conor McGregor next, people are going like shit. Like this is, this is a guy who never lost his first belt, just won another one. That's a fight people will want to see regardless of how he wins his next fight. But off that topic, we now got to move on to UFC 210 because we're going <laughs> to, we're going to cut into this thing. We're going to talk about three fights. So stay tuned, people. We're going to take a quick break. we got to compose ourselves. Mitch has to dab his brow. He's been sweating. He's just been so fired up. And it's for this topic. So hold on one second. All right. If you're listening, you probably love the content that we're putting out, right? Just a guess. Okay. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you get pissed off at a few things we say. But you're listening. So here's the deal. We need your help. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the show, not the public podcasts. Review us, rate us, every little bit helps. Check our website out, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Clicks are huge for us too. Make sure you visit, make sure you listen, and make sure you give us a little bit of love. Now, I'll take you back to the show. And we're back. Mitch, UFC 210. We've been waiting for this for quite a bit. Eagerly anticipating. I'm really excited about this card. I don't think it's a very deep card, but there are some fights on there that are that are certainly very, very exciting. We gotta talk about two though. And it's I wish we could talk about some other fights deeper on the card, like there was maybe some hidden gems on there. I'd, but like I said, it's not a deep card. So ultimately, I think we're going to talk about the two headlining cards, uh, headlining fights on this card. We're going to start, though, with the co-headliner. Okay, we're going to start with Chris Weidman versus Gegard Mousasi. I am super excited about this fight. I think there is so much going in to this fight narrative-wise, the intrigue is amazing, and then stylistically, the matchup is awesome. I am going to be so excited to watch this fight. What do you think about it? Are you feeling similarly? Buddy, super excited. This is the time. So, yeah, like you said, excited for this whole card, and this fight itself is full of stories. You know I love the storylines. I'm the, I'm the guy who gets 
hyped on the the background and thinking about the <laughs> scenarios and thinking about the, you know, all the intrigue coming into a fight. I get swept up in the marketing. I get swept up in all of it. I got to say, but st- the background stories for me are what I love. And you look at these two guys, um, and how do you not enjoy this story? You got Chris Weidman, who's you know goes thirteen and zero in the UFC and now hasn't won in two years mm-hmm. um, <laughs> against a guy who's. Honestly, I mean, you is a guy you've been high on for a long time, but you know, it's been around for what seems like an eternity has fought everywhere, has fought everyone. Um, yet is just now, it feels like coming into his own and kind of finding himself in, especially in terms of his UFC career. Um, and just, you know, like you were talking about before in terms of division shakeups and stuff, this fight has the makings of, you know, royally messing up a division. If Musasi was to win and win impressively, you know, he just adds himself to this ever-growing list of challenges for Michael Bisbing. Uh, and then Chris Weidman, you know, I think probably the UFC brass and many Americans all around are wondering if he's going to turn back the clock a little bit and become the, the champ we thought he was. And there was a time we didn't think this guy was ever going to lose. So, uh, and now, you, like I say, now you have a, a couple of weird circumstances. He comes in, he comes in having lost a fight that, you know, arguably he was winning up until he gets caught and it's just the intrigue is amazing. So uh, I'm very curious to see where this one goes. Obviously you're quite excited. What do you, how do you see it shaking out? Well, the thing that I love about this fight is it's, it, there's very rarely fights out there where win or lose, we're going to be talking about both guys and like a, what in the world are they going to do now? What is the direction their career going to take now? Either guy, like Chris Weidman wins. It's like, oh my, he's back on the horse. That's a big win. He's back in title contention. He needed that bad. You know, is maybe he is the legit great middleweight that people have been kind of, have been touting about him since the Anderson Silva fight, and he's right back in it. Lose, and it's, oh my God, that three-fight losing streak, most, many UFC fighters don't last three-fight losing streaks before getting cut. And this is a guy who... Defeated Anderson Silva back-to-back. That will be an incredible change of fortune for a guy like that. And then on the flip side, Gegard Mousasi is someone who has cruised through his UFC career largely and never seemed to have that much... Um, he never seemed to have that much... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He never felt like there was pressure. It never seemed like he was under any kind of pressure. Like He didn't really need to win or lose. He just kind of glided through it. Um, urgency. He never seemed to have any urgency. So all of a sudden now, he seems to have all the urgency in the world and a lot of edge. And if he wins this fight, I would I would argue that he is the best middleweight in that division in terms of their accomplishments in, in recent years. But if he Ooh. loses, it's like back to the drawing board. Maybe Gegard is not the guy we thought he is. is who does he match up against now? So there's so many really interesting directions that this fight could go and then you add in the way the fight could end what if it ends in a spectacular knockout what if you know this fight has so many different threads that you can pull and it will just change everything about both guys's career so i'm super excited now as a matchup as a matchup it'll be super interesting because musasi has been pressing a lot lately he used to be kind of a sit back you know Dutch kickboxing style guy without a lot of urgency to his game. 
you know, kind of play however he felt like counter dudes, but never really push. He's been pushing a lot lately, and that's really interesting because Chris Weidman, pressure fighter through and through. He's going to move forward, and that's what he does. And I think that Musasi is going to have success stopping him and moving Weidman back. And Weidman is really a completely different fighter on the back foot. So how it plays out actually in the octagon is going to be just as interesting. I, I don't know if I'm going to... I'm probably not going to order a drink for that fight because I don't think that I'll be taking my eyes off the screen. <laughs> it's true. And it's it, here's a weird thing to think about. So we just... You just spent... You know, we just talked about both of these guys, the resumes coming in, the history of both guys, where they come from. Yet at the same time, isn't this a prove-it fight? Aren't you looking at a fight here? This could be two kind of no-name guys kind of proving that they actually belong. And here's where I'm coming from. Is Weidman for real? If you look at Weidman's resume, and there's still people out here that feel this way, like I know he's proven himself, but look at look at the who's who here. He got so his title beat... shot after only 10 fights. Well, think him. about this. So... so not only that, he's coming off a win over Mark Munoz. They give him a title shot. We all know what happens. Everybody thinks it's a bit of a fluke punch. Go again. Anderson snaps his leg off. Cool. Does that mean he dominated Anderson twice? They barely even fought. Then he goes on, gets Leona Machida. Okay, was great 10 years ago. Then he gets Vitor Belfort. Awesome. Same story. Now what do we got? Loses to Rockhold, loses to Romero. So he's even a top five middleweight? Where does he fall? (laughs) Same thing. Gegard Masasi, you just talked about how hyped you are, how great he's been looking lately. Three straight finishes, da-da-da-da-da. Who the hell has he beat? Nobody, nobody times two, and nobody times three. That's what you're looking at. Uriah Hall, who he had previously had lost to, right on, gets that one back. Vitor Belfort, Tego Santos, Dallas Leites, that's it. That's what we're talking about here. But he's lost to Machida, Souza, Uriah Hall. So you're looking and going, you know, I get it. He's got this record. He's on a streak. But realistically... It's like you say, either one of these guys loses and you might just go, were they ever anything? Do we buy into something there? What happened? Yep. So unbelievable. And, and ultimately, what happens if it's a stinker of a fight? <laughs> the, way, the way these guys match up, I mean, you could see a three, neither guy wants to lose. Weidman's coming off a fight where he was winning, he was pressuring. Ting, he's asleep. So he might be a little cautious. Like you, you look at this and go, if this thing goes three rounds, you know, and it's a split decision win for either guy. Are you hyped to see either guy in the future? Like it's a really intriguing fight to me in that sense. But I just found myself looking, looking some stuff up, looking at some of the background on these guys. And I was thinking, you know, it's insane to think that both these guys could just be gone and forgotten about with another loss or two each just insane to me. So uh, I, yeah, I think it's super intriguing. I think the fight is probably plays out a lot. Like you said, I I'm intrigued to see how, uh, kind of gun shy Chris Weidman is. I mean, you get caught like that with a knee where he, you know, he said he made a mistake. Um, you know, coming in, people are asking if he's on PEDs. He looks so yoked coming into this fight. So hmm. it's a, it's an interesting kind of gambit. He's the same thing. He said had a neck injury. He's been hurt for the better part of two years, is what he says. So you look and it, it just feels like you're getting both guys at their best or what they claim to be their best. And it really is kind of a, winner stays and the loser goes home almost. It feels like you might be seeing a guy, you know, it feels so insane to say one of these guys might get cut after this fight. But at the same time, it really does feel like it is kind of a career turner for, for each of these guys. If they're, if they're going to kind of ascend to that top level again, it's kind of now or never, I think. Certainly. And, and you got to feel for Jacare Souza, who's sort of looking at what's going on around him and being like, what the fuck? These two guys get to fight each other in sort of a high profile 
great little fight, and I have to fight all these clowns that they've been putting me against. Great. Just super. The only advantage he gets is he keeps mopping them up. He doesn't get yep. in these kind of stalemate type fights. And, and that's why I said, I'm, I'm curious to see how the fight finishes too, because it feels like this, this division for the better part of a year now has been really could be any of these four or five guys that gets the next shot. And they're always, they're always fighting around the same time. And it's always, you know, who's fresher in the memory. Right. Um, and you know, Sousa fought a little while ago. Now Romero obviously doesn't have a partner. He's kind of waiting to see what happens. So yeah, one of these guys wins impressively, and all of a sudden, you know, they jump the line. It's kind of an interesting thing with this division. It's, it's you know, and that's probably why neither of them is going away if they were to lose too, because you're you're still that close with another win or two. But yeah, very intriguing stuff. Well, Weidman is definitely closer to the edge than than Musasi, but oh boy. Well, yeah, oh boy. you're still, you're still talking about a couple of thirty year olds. That's the crazy part. Well, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying in terms of usefulness based on their record i mean you go three straight losses you know masasi's at least got a four fight win streak to kind of buffer that a loss yeah. so yeah but we're going to talk about another fight we're going to leave the best for last obviously the headliner daniel cormier versus anthony johnson we're going to talk about that last we have been given a recommendation by uh your temporary replacement who i'm i'm now i, I just want to make this official mitch you're back okay you're back you get the job you get to keep it. Tay-Tay, Man, I, he's... Uh, hey, as much as I don't enjoy calling any grown man Tay, uh, I got to say, <laughs> you got to be careful what you said. wish for here. Me and Tay might be getting together. We might be talking on the side. We'll see if maybe you get oh. the call up next week or not. Oh. Uh, you know, one of us is itching to get to ask all the questions instead of having your, your big curveballs thrown at us for once, so... Yeah, you just we'll see what the fans say after this. Maybe maybe they want to see the two crazy guys go head to head, and we'll just cut you out altogether. We'll see how it plays out. Benedict Arnold, Brutus, hey. that's what you are. Oh. So on the recommendation of our friend <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> he said, "Hey, you guys, you need to talk about one fight that people don't know. Two to a fight with two two fighters in there that people aren't familiar with. That's the fight that they got to pay attention to. Up and comers or prospect fights." or this is going to have an impact, you're going to know these names down the road. So we decided to pick one. And we're going with Kamar Usman versus Sean Strickland. I believe it is the co-headliner on the prelims, mm-hmm. but you never know, that could change. This is a very interesting fight. Most people might not know either one of these guys. Usman is uh, of the former Black Zillions gym, which has now imploded upon itself and is no longer the Black Zillions gym. I, don't, I can't remember where he went, if he stayed, or if he went with Henry Hoof to the combat club or whatever it is. I think he's, he went with Henry Hoof. But this guy won tough, so he's got that whatever that's worth. I mean, it's worth as much as the paper it's written on or I guess the glass plaque they give you. But the guy has talent. And here's the thing. He and Sean Strickland, I'm telling you, this is the... Whichever one of these guys wins, you are looking at the next push guy that the UFC is going to start featuring as the next up-and-coming welterweight. Not up-and-coming in the sense that they're a prospect. Like, one of these guys is going to be the next, okay, they get a top-five welterweight guy. Strickland is 26, but he's had 19 fights. I mean, that's insane. Apparently... He's been fighting professionally since he was 15. He's been fighting like grown-ass men since he was a 15-year-old. And 
you know, Usman is a, a great fighter, great record. This is a really interesting fight and could have reverberations down the line in the welterweight division. So I'm super psyched about this. I know that, that you know, you don't like to tend to pay attention to the no-namers, Mitch. But what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> For the record, it's not that I don't like paying attention to the no-namers. It's just a little, you know, you're usually into the obscure, like you go out of your way to find something that someone <laughs> might not have heard of. That's all. These guys, you're talking about two blue chippers. You're talking about, you know, guys with one loss a piece. We're not talking, you know, some weird wrestler that you pull out of nowhere. So th- this one, I'll, I'll, you know, you do enjoy the rare finds, I guess. But in this case, it's, you're exactly right. Your two prospects, your guys you're talking about in this division, Probably either way. I think even with a loss, one of these, you know, these guys aren't going anywhere necessarily with these records. Um, they're both young guys. They're both on big win streaks. It seems like uh, an interesting, an interesting matchup for sure. And one that, to be honest, this is what we always talk about. A lot of times those prelim fights and those, those ones where you don't know the names, those are the ones that you really want to be paying attention to. And a lot of times the ones we're super excited for, the ones that get us all fired up, don't necessarily deliver. So I think this has the makings of one of those fights where, you got the you got the prelims turned on for free and you're enjoying those and you know this will be the type of fight that'll make up for later on fights if they happen to be a bit more boring or something like that right we just talked about the wide men and that type of stuff if they end up not delivering those knockouts and all the stuff that everybody all the fireworks everyone's excited for it'll be a fight like this one that you'll remember with two evenly matched guys so definitely intriguing stuff they both look to be uh, on the rise they've fought some interesting guys i thought it was kind of interesting to see Sean Strickland has fought like Luke Barnott and a bunch of, you know, he's kind of did the, his first couple of fights in the UFC were kind of the, you know, the tough alumni type of circuit, but um, yeah, definitely on the up and up now. So both guys are looking impressive. Yeah. I, I, this is going to be a really good fight. Um, I would say though, that I would hesitate to say that this could be a fight that will like entertain the crowd. Cause Usman is a wrestling base guy and Strickland is kind of an outfighter, more of a, uh, he likes to kind of keep his distance and play at range and, and kind of do that thing. I think his last three fights all wins, uh, all went to decision, unanimous decision, but nonetheless, he kind of went the distance. So it's going to be interesting to see if either one of these guys kind of wants to rise to the occasion and sort of put their stamp on it because they're both trying to make a name off each other with this fight. So I'll be very interested to see if they kind of fight against type a little bit. I, I expect that Strickland will do what he's done. Cause here's the thing. I was, I heard something on a, on another podcast I listened to, and I thought it was a really interesting point. And, and these two guys on this other show, we're not going to pump another show, but here's the thing. They talk about how there's certain kind of fighters who went, they're young, but they've been around for a long time. The Rory McDonald's of the world who trained in MMA from when they were like 14 years old, young guys. And so they are sort of these young professionals who have seen it all, but largely have come up through gyms where they're mostly trying to survive because they were so young and physically not as developed as everybody else they were training with. And so they almost have a, a, have a lack of urgency when they fight because they've seen it all and they've never really had to push themselves because they've never really felt like, oh, if they're fighting somebody else and the, the guy tags them, they don't really think they're hurt because, well, I've been in tougher situations before because I was 16 years old and I got punched in the face by a 29-year-old MMA professional. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Strickland can kind of 
push himself. I feel like Usman is a Black Zillions guy. He's a bit more aggressive. Is going to try and bring it. But whether Strickland kind of matches him, that's going to be the intrigue of the matchup for me. So. Yeah, and you made a good point too. Strickland's got you know one fight in his last five that didn't go to decision, and he, you know a couple of those were even split decisions. So um, he's probably the guy of the two that's kind of got his back against the wall here a little bit. He's got to probably win and win a little bit more impressively to kind of keep his upswing going. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy that fight. I'm definitely gonna watch that one. I mean, of course, I'm gonna watch all of them, but I'm just saying, people, keep your eyes on Kamar Usman versus Sean Strickland. Well, the best part is it leads right into Miles Jury's fight, and we know that's going to be a beauty. So, <laughs> I, I do like course. Miles Jury, but I don't know. You've been way higher on him than I've than I've ever been. So, yep, it's very he's true. The only, he's the only dude I could really remember in the UFC who, and I'm giving him credit for this. Wears the the like the cut off sleeve like basketball jersey shirts after fights and stuff. I was like, why are these guys wearing T-shirts? They can't get the friggin' sleeves on, for God's sakes. Miles Jury, then he, he's got a novel concept. No sleeves! Just wear the basketball jersey style. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave all the fashion commentary to you for sure. That's not really my wheelhouse, but I know he's an awesome striker and a great fighter. So once they tune into your fight pick of the week, then they can, uh, you know, lead into a little Miles Jury and then get ready for the pay-per-view. It's a perfect feed-in, I think. Bada bing, bada boom. And headlining that pay-per-view, the final fight that we will talk about, the one that everybody wants to see, Daniel Cormier, the light heavyweight champion of the world, against Anthony Rumble Johnson. In a rematch, there's a lot of intrigue going on in this fight. There's a lot, there's, it's, I can't say that this is the most exciting of all the title fights for me that that's on the docket that you know could but i do like this fight a lot because the first fight was i feel the first fight was way more interesting based on where both of their careers are this one is sort of elevated because of the title that's on the line but at the end of the day ah man i uh, it just always to me feels like the shadow of john jones is looming over every single fight in the lightweight division until someone basically beats him and on that note, what do you think about the fight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, and this is one where John Jones's shadow looming over is actually applicable because, you know, odds are Jones is going to be set up to face the winner here. And I think regardless of who wins, you've got an intriguing matchup that way. So rather than a year ago when we were talking a Cormier fight, it all just kind of felt like placeholders until Jones was back. Um, this one's kind of got my intrigue because of that. You've got, you, you know, if the UFC is smart, he might not, he might even be in attendance really. Mm. Um, it's up in his neck of the woods. Uh, you know, that kind of Northern New York area. There's, there's a lot of reasons I would have Jones in the building, but I can also see they don't even have him in their rankings yet. Again, he's kind of, I think until he clears that suspension, they, you know, would like to pretend he's, he's, he's out of the, out of the, out of the sight lines for now. So we'll see about that. But the fight itself, I mean, you know, what do you do? You get Carl, Carl Winslow against <laughs> Johnson, really, right? Um, what this was is that, Angry of, Johnson? Is that what angry you call Johnson, yeah. <laughs> Everybody calls him AJ, and that's what I always think of. Uh, it just seems like we're hearing about some sort of temperamental rage of his some way or the other. You know, one <laughs> you, you guys alluded to is a bunch of his past last week, but I think it's, uh, yeah, it's always intriguing because of, you know, it is what it is. You look at, I, you know, obviously I'm joking when I say Carl Winslow, but it's just facts are facts you know and going back to him being upset about the poster 
you're looking at a guy who most people look at and go, that guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that dude is a fighter against a guy who everyone on the planet thinks looks like a very scary individual. So obviously we've seen the fight before. Uh, it didn't obviously go Johnson's way. He claims to be, you know, a different fighter out of intrigue. I was looking today to see, you know, since he fought Cormier, where's he gone? Who's he proved himself against? And honestly, it didn't excite me. Um, you know, Jimmy Manoa, Ryan Bader, Glover Teixeira, all finishes, all KOs, uh, which is obviously where we've gotten us back to this point. But it's not exactly a who's who. I mean, the way the division is, those are the upper echelon of this of this division. But at the same time, I don't look at that and go, wow, that's, you know, he went from Cormier, but then look at this ascension he made. He, he kept taking steps and kept getting better. These look like the same types of guys he was knocking out before he ran into Cormier before. So for me, it's more, you know, what Daniel Cormier are we going to get um, you know, he's always battling injuries. He's always battling his weight, always, you know, Getting older. Well, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that jinx again, but always pulling out of fights is kind of the MO here. So if we get these two guys to the cage, which version of Cormier shows up? And as long as it's, you, you got to think even what three quarters full speed for him, he probably, the fight looks a lot like it did last time. So an interesting thing to remind folks of is he finished this thing by submission last time, which is, very interesting to me and kind of plays into that, you know, storyline you were talking about with, with, uh, rumble having a bit of a pension to take the easy way out or don't you know, give up Anthony. <laughs> yes. Don't give up Anthony. And same thing. He's had the making weight issues in the past. Seems to be a bit of a, you know, mental struggles for him. Obviously I, I don't know. I'm not in this camp, but when you see these kind of consistent issues and, and then out of the cage issues and stuff like that as well, that seem to prop up. Um, so it, to me, it's, it's intriguing because it feels like just a straight best against best. They're both in their best forms. It feels like we know who's going to win. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> are we going to see either of these guys at their best? One of them at their best. It, it, it's intriguing that way. And obviously it always is with weight cuts and that kind of stuff. They have to be in the right, you know, their body's got to respond. They've got to be in the right mental makeup when they get to the cage. There's a lot going on, but, um, it's interesting. This is one of the only guys that that's taken rumble's best shot too. So Cormier, you know, he obviously got knocked right to his ass last time was able to get back up. So it's interesting. And I wonder what that does to the psyche of rumble as well. Like most guys you're looking at his fight history. Most guys last 18 seconds, 22 seconds, a minute, 12 seconds, these types of lengths. He was able to connect to Cormier in that same time. And he hung around and it seemed like that kind of deflated him. Right. And you're hearing Cormier say that now coming in, all I got to do is survive seven minutes and the fight's mine. Um, so what do what do you think about that? You really think that's true? Is it really just hold on for that first round? And if you see the second round, your confidence just goes through the roof. If you're Daniel Cormier, uh, I, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know that your confidence will go through the roof, but I think that you will, that if you're Daniel Cormier and you make it for the, through the first seven minutes, you know, that your game plan, that if you stick to it, it's going to work. Um, and that's, that's the reason that this fight is most exciting to me. Because like I said with the whole John Jones looming over the whole thing, what is interesting about this fight is that at the end of the day, as a matchup, it is that kind of exciting matchup where you can just sort of blueprint it. You have a guy with legitimate knockout, walk-off knockout power. He can connect within the first round and knock anybody out and has done it before, and that is his path to victory. That has that has been his path to victory since he moved up to the heavier uh, to lightweight. 
and that will always be his path to victory. He's he is that Mike Tyson MMA guy. So that first seven minutes is going to be very very intriguing. You know, we always it's one of the it's one of those uh, isms or those things that people always talk about in MMA, which drives me friggin' nuts. Is the whole oh, but it only takes one punch. There's always that knockout one. Hate that. That's such crap. Because it's like, yes, anyone can knock out anybody on a good day. But with Anthony Johnson, that saying applies. He has that power. He can knock out anybody if he gets that right shot. But he's yoked up. He's a big guy. So he can get tired. And he has gotten tired before after a certain amount of time goes by. And if Daniel Cormier employs the right kind of game plan, he could tire him out much quicker. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if... Uh, Cormier survived. He got caught a couple times in that first fight and survived. I don't know that that's going to dissuade Johnson this time around. Maybe if that happens again, it, it might. But I think that Johnson's the kind of guy where, at the end of the day, with that kind of power, with that kind of game plan, his eggs are all in that basket anyways. I, I think that it's more about if he doesn't knock him out in that first seven minutes... It's not that Cormier is going to gain a lot of confidence. It is that Anthony Johnson is going to be sort of out of answers. He will probably have used all his best tools to try and get that knockout, and now he's just going to be reusing them and not have the energy to throw that firepower anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, to to look at his fight record is unbelievable to see, you know, first round, first round, first round, first yeah. round. If, it, the, if the thing... Yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, he's got, I'm looking honestly 10 fights back before I see, you know, he's got two wins via decision that go three rounds. <laughs> Everything else is one round. And if he loses, here's an interesting thing. It's by rear naked choke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His last three losses, all rear naked choke, which again, and I hate making you sound right in any way ever, <laughs> but you know, you hear it all the time. Guys talk about it. They were all over Connor for tapping on a choke. It's a big thing in MMA. You go out without tapping, go out on your shield, or a lot of people say there's this mental makeup where you can fight through that kind of thing. Obviously, if the choke's right, the choke's right. But to have three of them, all rear naked chokes, it's almost like your mindset as well. Once they've got me here, I'm done. Like, I'm not saying he's an easy out, but it, you know, it's just an odd coincidence possibly, but... I'm looking and going, that's, it's very intriguing to me that, you know, he's lost five times and four of them are submissions and all four of them are rear naked chokes. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. <laughs> well, it's, so. it's, it's sort of that bully mentality. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm totally speculating, but there's a lot of evidence to the fact that, that Anthony Johnson might just be a bully, uh, in the cage and outside the cage. You know, he, he might be one of those guys who, when he doesn't get his way, that's when he all of a sudden is not nice Anthony. He's angry Johnson. And, angry Johnson. Uh, yeah, so he's going to get in. The, you know, you, you get you get rear naked choked. It's it's because you realize things haven't gone your way, and you're like, well, I'm not getting out of this. And even if I get out of this, am I going to have the energy to knock the other guy out? And now I'm embarrassed and tap. So Yeah, when you hear a lot of fighters say that easy out thing, right? You just don't take the easy out, and it makes me – you know, I used to kind of think it was a meat-headed statement, and then the more and more you see it, you see the, you know, I'll use even Misha Tate as an example of just these people who, you know, seemingly pop out of these chokes, and they just yeah. manage to fight through them, and there's some people that it seems like that thing's clipped under the chin for half a second, and they've already got their hand cocked and ready, right? Yeah, but so. I, here's the other thing is, I, I feel like in MMA, every finish 
every finish has its own story. It's like Tom Brady said, every interception has its own story. They're ne- they're never created equal. And so sometimes guys will get, you know, guys or girls will get rear naked choked and you'll think, ah, oh, that, you know, that guy, that guy's a pussy. He tapped. But like when Connor tapped against Diaz, he just tapped after getting shellacked. Like he was on, he was on weak legs and was getting beaten up from behind, like bludgeoned. Johnson just quit. It wasn't mm-hmm. like Cormier was pummeling him. Cormier was just, you know, ragdolling him around and sort of controlling him and then got the choke and he tapped, you know? So that's one of those ones where you really, you do look at it and think like, what, what, where was the threat? What was the thing that was keeping him from just hand fighting or, you know, making that last ditch attempt to do something, you know, he, he was probably all there. So gosh, I don't know. I don't know. He's it's a, well, and I mean, Carl Winslow is able to whoop your butt and you're, you, you described him as the Mike Tyson of MMA and Carl Winslow comes in and puts you on your butt. I think yep. maybe it's a little <laughs> bit of a, you know what I mean? That's got to yep. do something. It really must. Like when you, even when you look at that guy, if you're, you've got that physique and you look like that and you come in and you look over and there's this, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, just, just by body type alone, you look at him, he's got the receding hairline. It can't be an intimidating sight. So when that guy starts to grind you and outwork you and kind of all of a sudden you're realizing that this guy is, is kind of having his way with you, that's got to be demoralizing on more than one level. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but so all that said, who do you got? You know what? I'm going to go with Anthony Johnson in this fight, Mitch. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. I I think it's a, a, but this is the thing is like, I don't like making just straight up picks. You know, because I, I, I think that there's so many different directions it could go. Like, I no, nope. I would straight okay, up pick. Fine, straight up pick. It's Anthony Johnson. But if it does make it out of the first round, nope. I, I mean, that's you know, that's how it is. Anthony Johnson, via knockout. Via knockout. Oof. I've got Mr. Cormier via five round decision. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, now after this whole discussion, I'm going, there's no way it goes five rounds because Anthony will give up before then, won't he? So I'm going to say four. I'm going to go fourth round, submission, Daniel Cormier. Yep. I like it. Yep, yep, yep. Which is super interesting. Where does it go from there? I mean, if if your prediction's right and Johnson wins, what do they do, a third one? Does he jump up and get Jones? Oh, boy, things get messy if Rumble is able to take that down. That's, that's a very good point, actually. A rubber match. I would watch a rubber match. I would definitely watch a rubber match. Regardless how this fight ends, you know, I would watch a third fight between those two if Johnson won. So, All right. This has been the heart. To- well, I, I'm going to throw this out really quickly. Like an hour and a half before we recorded, probably the news that we pro- would have wanted to, to discuss more than any. Dana White says, oh, yeah, Robbie Lawler is coming back to fight. Cowboy Cerrone. And I'm like, ah, oh, for f- we already set our agenda. We can't talk about that now. <laughs> Not this show, but oh. we'll definitely be talking about that fight. Oh, boy, will we? <laughs> two, two of my favorites ever right there. That's amazing. So um, I, told, I told you, Robbie was lacing up the gloves. He's coming back. Returning uh-huh. to do what he does best. Stand yeah. inches away from motherfuckers and dare them to try and hit them harder than he hits them back that's that's why the Cerrone is so intriguing add to that Lawler's moving camps oh boy lots to talk about we might have to to do a whole show on that one bring Tay in let's go all three of them oh my god maybe 
may be a three-man panel. Boy, oh boy. All right, Mitch. This has been The Hurt Take. Thank you very much for joining. I am Reese. He is Mitch. We are out.